This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Now this series that we're wrapping up today, we called it Your Kingdom Come or Kingdom Come. Um, and it's based out of a prayer that many of us, probably one of the most passive, are Im- informative and popular passages of Scripture in the entirety of the Bible. It's, it comes out of Matthew 6 where Jesus is asked, how should we pray? And then he says, well, this is how you should pray. Uh, My Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is. He says, notice what he says there at the very beginning. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is. And it represents this, this idea that is very central to the message of Jesus. That we can experience the kingdom of God right now. That eternity is not something that happens after we die that heaven has come to earth in the form of Jesus and that right now when we give our lives to Jesus, the brokest, broken parts of our lives can be made whole, right? The, the parts that, that have been stolen can be restored in the name of Jesus. We can live in heaven on earth and when we do, death is nothing except an address change. We experience eternal life right now because God's desire is that we experience heaven on earth that's what Jesus came to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of God is here as a matter of fact it's one of the very first things that he's going to say the first gospel recorded is Mark it was written circa 60 AD and the first recorded words of Jesus in that are the time has come the kingdom of God has come repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is here. The opportunity for you to choose the kingdom, the opportunity for you to make a choice to believe in something that is far beyond what you can see, what you understand. Hold on. What? I'm sorry, guys. I normally keep my phone, but this is the city we live in. Um, Hold on. Hello? Yes, this is Kevin Simmons. Guys, hold on. My my house is on fire. Is it? Is there? Is there a response there? Is, I mean, are, are there like firemen there? How bad is it? All right, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. April Fool's like one day early. Okay. I mean, <laughs> all right. Um, but but really, really, uh, we we've all got that call at some point. We've all got that call. I remember getting that call when I was in college. My mom called to tell me that she had cancer. Some of you have gotten that call that your house was on fire and you came back and everything that you had ever worked to amass as your life was burned to the ground. Well, here's the truth, is that we've already received that call. And we received that call a long time ago and it comes at the very beginning of the story of redemption in Genesis Genesis 2, we see this, that God built us a home, that God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and he put the man he had just made 
in it. God made us a home. It was perfect, and he gave it to us. And in that moment, in that moment, life was on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer that Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer, the, the, the essence of this whole series, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, as is, is really a prayer for all to be restored to the way that God originally created it. Because you know what happened, right? The, Adam and Eve were given one rule, don't eat from this one tree. And all of us think if we were given one rule, just don't eat from that one tree, that we could pull that off. But they couldn't, and you couldn't, and I couldn't. Right? Because it shows us just our nature of sin. Like how prone we are to wander from the direction of God. Sin enters and here's what happened. We see this. Look at this is this is what the the scriptures say in Genesis three. We find out that we lose our home. Verse twenty three says that God expelled them from the garden and sent them to work on the ground, the same dirt out of which they had been made. See, sin burned to the ground the home we were designed to live in. See, every person was made for a home that they've lost. Every person was designed and created and made for a home that because of sin, we lost. But here's the big idea for today. I want you to see this, that Jesus is the king that rebuilt our home. Jesus is the king that rebuilt our home, that gave us access to that which we could never earn, attain, or afford. That's who Jesus is. And so today, as we consider Jesus the eternal king, the king who was and is and is to come, what I want to do is I want to give you three perspectives of Jesus throughout his life as we see him in scripture as king. And I want to just make a couple simple observations for you today. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 2 at the very beginning of the story of Jesus. This is at his birth. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Notice there's a king. About the same time, wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? Now, there's a sitting king, and a group of people show up asking, where is the newborn king? When he saw the star, as it, or we saw his star as it arose, and we have come to worship him, that's what they said. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, I just want to pause right there. You, you need to understand who Herod was. Herod, we know in, in, from historical records, was, was a massively creative builder. Uh, he built several ports that are still in use today. Um, he, he was notoriously, notoriously uh, suspicious and paranoid of those who could steal his power. He killed his own children. Like literally executed his own kids to keep them from potentially usurping his power. So when they show up saying there's a newborn king, he is deeply disturbed. So he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked them, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Jerusalem, or Judah. 
for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Now he's gathering some information for a reason. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back to me so that I can go worship him too. Now, the, we, we know the background of who Herod is, and the plan is obviously not kind, okay? It's obviously not kind. He, he wants to make sure that he takes care of what could disrupt his power. But this is what happens. When it came time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in, in a dream not to return to Herod. Now, as Herod had gained the time in which they saw the star appear, in those days it was believed that when a, a celestial event happened, a special uh, event happened in the sky, a, a new moon or something, it kind of signaled the coming of a new leader. And so these men show up anticipating to meet a new king. They find Jesus. We understand the story from Scripture and go and worship him as the newborn king of the Jews. This is a very mysterious moment in the birth of Jesus. But as they gathered, as Herod gathered this information from them about when they saw the star, he kind of calculated how old the boy could be. And so he sent soldiers into Bethlehem to kill every boy around that age and younger. Now, I have, I have two boys. I have a five-year-old and I have a two-year-old, and I cannot imagine soldiers bursting into our home, taking them out of our hands, and me having to watch them be executed. But that's what happened in Bethlehem because there was a new king that threatened the power of a sitting king. See, the first thing that I see is that Jesus isn't, overthrowing king. There's something that we miss about the kingship of Jesus that's buried kind of within this story that's very important to understand the kind of king that we have in Jesus. And this is the first thing in your notes. So if you're taking notes today, you can do that. That our king sacrificed everything to come near us. He, he sacrificed everything to come near to us. This is very important in understanding the kind of king that we serve. Royalty is often defined not by its nearness to its subjects, but by its distance. Think, think about the royalty that we know of today, the, the queen and, and prince of England, right? Like, the, how close are they to their people? They're not in and amongst their people. Their royalty and their, their kind of kingship is defined by their separation, not by their closeness. But our God, our King, is a God who draws close to us. If you're going through a difficult season today, here's, I just want you to know this. I just want you to know this, that God is near you. He's not far from you. A lot of times we feel like God's close to us in the moments where we feel successful and prosperous, but I want you to know that God is near you in your pain. He is near to you even in moments that feel like failure. God is near you. He wants to be with you. He wants to walk with you. God wants to, he gave up everything to come near. This is the, the total opposite of the kingdoms of this world, which is why we understand 
that God's spiritual kingdom overthrows the kingdoms of this world. God's spiritual kingdom overthrows the kingdoms of this world. See, some of us have bought into a kingdom that in our lives is more defined by hate. And we blame all the problems that we have on other people. And there are, in our lives, there are those people. If it wasn't for those people, things would be right. If it wasn't for, and I don't know who, everybody has a different those people. But I want you to know that if your life has been defined by a dislike and distaste for a certain type of people, I want you to know that in the, in the end of all this, love's going to win. Like love wins in the end. The kingdom of, of hate will not win. Love, love wins. And can I, I, I just, can I just talk about love for a moment in, in, in our culture? See, the, the opposite of love is not hate, okay? Hate is a perversion of love. The opposite of love is indifference or tolerance. Have you ever noticed that the only thing that our world is intolerant of is intolerance? But that's not the way that we treat people when we love them. You're not, like, tolerant of your kids. It's not like you're at home and little giant decides to play with knives and you're like, you know what? Who am I to tell him what's right or wrong? Go ahead, little Johnny, play with knives. Throw them up in the air, whatever, right? No, we don't do that. We step in. Why? Because love steps in. Love gets near. Love corrects. Love says no. Can I tell you something? Tolerance has never made a difference in the lives of people, but love has. And when our world gets a hold of that, when we as believers get a hold of that, a lot of things will change. But that kingdom of hate, and I'm going to be honest with you, we see this all around on all different sides of issues today. It is not going to win. In the end, the kingdom of love is going to win. Some of you have bought into a kingdom of bitterness where you're carrying around things that you're not meant to carry because Jesus has already taken care of it on the cross. And because of that, you're carrying bitterness. The longer you carry a load that you were not meant to carry, the more bitterness grows in your heart. In the end, a kingdom of forgiveness and grace is going to win. As a matter of fact, if you're here today and all you're concerned about is your own personal kingdom, your own personal brand, your name, your name recognition, I want you to understand that in the end, it doesn't matter how big the kingdom is that I build. In the end, it is going to lose out to the kingdom of God. Which is why Revelation eleven fifteen lets us know that the world has now, this is a picture of the end of times. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. All kingdoms come under the authority of Jesus in the end. All kingdoms. So we really just have a question today. Are, are, are we going to try to build our own kingdom, or are we going to, Get involved in the kingdom that's going to last forever. See, the second picture I want you to see of Jesus as a king is 
that Jesus is the king that rescues us. And we, we see that at the cross, and there's this moment that Jesus has with Pilate. Now, if you understand anything about the, the execution of Jesus, we'll dive into this much later when, when we get closer to Easter. But I want you to know that the reason he's being killed is because he claimed to be king. He claimed to be king. This is the, the leverage that they have, that Jesus in his teaching claimed to be king. And so he's put on a religious trial. The religious leaders under religious law had the capacity to execute him, but only execute him by the standards by which their law establishes, which is through stoning. But they don't feel like that's painful enough. So they want him to be tried as someone who's trying to usurp the Roman emperor and claim to be king who is not uh, claimed to be a king that has not been established by the roman government and so they bring him to the roman governor Pilate, who then puts him on trial Pilate went back to his headquarters and called for jesus to be brought to him are you the king of the jews he asked jesus replied is this your own question or did others tell you about me am i a jew Pilate said or retorted your own people and their leading priests brought to you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my, father, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. <laughs> this is so funny because watch how Jesus takes this so differently. Pilate said, so you're a king? Jesus said, oh, you say I'm a king? You say I'm a king? Actually, I was born to come into the world and testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. And then he walked out again, and to the people he told them, he is not guilty of any crime. He's not. And seven times, if you read throughout the gospel, seven times, Pilate makes the claim publicly that Jesus was not guilty. But here's what we know, that Jesus assumed the guilt for your crimes and for my crimes. That God had established a law, and that law has been broken in our hearts and in our minds and in our behaviors. We sinned against God. This is one of the things that led C.S. Lewis who was an atheist and didn't believe in God at all to profess faith in Jesus Christ because he said that it seemed to me that there was a law that every man in his heart felt guilty of breaking. That everybody seemed to know that there was a standard to which they had not lived up to. And that's sin. And Jesus came and said, I'm, I'll, I'll stand in place. I'm the one that's guilty. He, he had done nothing wrong. No, we we done the things that were wrong. We, we're the ones that broke the law. He never once broke the law, but he stood in as a substitute for you and for me to take the punishment that we should have taken. See, this is where in, in our culture, we, we, we get this a little confused. Because we look around and we say, yeah, but I'm a good person. 
and they're a good person. They don't deserve that. And they're a good person. They deserve better than that. But see, the, th- the gospel is not an issue of good. It's an issue of godly. Jesus died, didn't, it, he didn't die to make you good. He, he died to make you like himself. And the issue isn't how good you are. Because good implies that you can earn. The issue isn't how good you are. The issue is simply, are we being transformed into the image of Jesus? That's what godly means. That we're being transformed into the image of Jesus. And Jesus came to plead guilty for our crimes so that we could have access to a God that because of his holiness, we never could. In John chapter 15, verse 13, he would say that greater love has no man than this than to lay down his own life. To lay down his own life. That's what he did. And he did this for this reason. Pay attention to this. The king gave his life to give you access to the home you were made for. See, we believe around here that people are going to live forever, that they're either going to live with Jesus or they're going to live separated from Jesus. And as a church, we've been given the privilege of carrying this message of hope and reconciliation to a world that desperately needs it. This is why we take Easter so seriously, why we give you invitation cards and ask you to put up posters, because at Easter, we preach the resurrection, which is the reconciliation of all men to God himself through Jesus Christ as he died on the cross, bearing the penalty of our sin. And we believe that every person, your neighbor that you don't like, right, the guy who cut you off in traffic, every person is going to live forever. And it matters. And I can't imagine believing that somebody's going to live forever and believing that to the core that people are going to live forever and not sharing what we have in him. And that's why we believe. That's why we're here. We're here as a church so that the kingdom of God can come on earth as it is in heaven. And many of you have made significant strides towards that. But it's really a choice. It comes down to a choice. It's a choice that you have today. And it's your choice, specifically you. He gave his life for you. Will you give yours to him? He gave up his rights, will you give up your rights? He gave up his plans, will you give up your plans? He gave up his future, will you give up your future? He gave up everything, will you surrender everything to the kingdom of God? It's real simple. And you have that choice today. But this isn't the end of the story of Jesus. If we look forward into the revelation of John, we we see that Jesus is not just a king that was buried and rose again, but he's a king that's returning. And in Revelation chapter 19, we get a picture of Jesus as the returning king. And to be honest with you, this is a very different picture of Jesus. The picture that we give of Jesus as he ministered on earth is is a very meek and mild-mannered and loving. but But this coming king is, is, is quite intense. And we see this in Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, 
and a white horse was standing there, and its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Why, why many crowns? Because all the kingdoms of this world have now crowned him as king. A name was written on him that no one can understand except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. Now, remember that this book is being written by the Apostle John. He wrote the Gospel of John, which begins, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word of God is his name. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. See, today, today you have the capacity to choose. But there's a reality that we need to be reminded of. One day you won't have a choice. One day you won't have a choice. One day you won't have a choice. And we've all seen people who have met that day. Some of it has has happened slowly as they received a terminal diagnosis and they slowly progress towards that last moment of decision. And we've all known people that that moment came sudden when it wasn't expected. But if you're breathing and you're in here today, you still have the capacity to choose. You still have the capacity to choose. And that choice is, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Who do you think Jesus is? And who is Jesus to you personally? Because here's what I know, that King Jesus is God, and he wants you to live with him forever. King Jesus is God. He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a priest. He's God. And he wants you to live with him forever. I mean, think about this. Think about what we're talking about, a God who would surrender himself to becoming one of his created, that he would go through the most awful death possible, overcoming our sin, bearing our penalty. Why would God go through all this? It's simple. So you can go home. So you can go home. And here's where we have failed you. Because we've taught you that home is heaven. But that's not true. Your home is in Jesus. You were made to live in As we close today, I'm going to read the Christology out of Colossians chapter 1. 
I want you to see that you were made, along with everything in the universe, to live in Christ, to live in Jesus. He is your king. He is your home. And he came to overcome our sinfulness and to repair our brokenness and to invite us into a kingdom where he is king and he is home. And then I'm going to tell you a story and we'll wrap up. Colossians chapter 1, beginning verse 15. We look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose and everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and find its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, there, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces. Some of you, you feel broken, and you feel like there are parts of your life that are missing. Pay attention to this. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies all because of his death, his blood that poured from the cross. See, his sacrifice on the cross was to invite you to live in a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual reality that's available to us right now in this moment. This week, I got a text from a mom, and she parents a elementary age little boy. She said, I could use some prayers for this mama's heart. She went on to explain this story. Earlier in the week, my, my son was called out uh, by the administration, and uh, he was asked some questions about some things that were happening in his classroom. And in that moment, he could choose to either tell the truth or lie and be comfortable. Because if he told the truth, it was gonna create problems between him and other kids because there were kids that had been picking on another kid. But for him, it wasn't a choice. He told the truth. And as the punishment was handed down and the problems were dealt with, the kids to which the truth had been exposed said, we're not going to be friends with you anymore. Then the picking switched from another kid to him. That's where the mom texts me. She said, can you pray for just this mom's heart? And I responded. I said, well, you know, this is a great opportunity for you to teach him that he's living for an audience of one. She's like, no, no, you don't get it. Last night I, I sat down and we talked about and he explained that all the kids started picking on him. And that they told him that they were not going to be his friends. And I said, I'm so sorry. You know, I don't want this for you. 
He said, Mom, I'm not sorry. Because their opinion doesn't matter. Only God's opinion matters. I want you to know that that's kingdom. That's kingdom. And there's an elementary age boy who has gotten kingdom a little bit better than some of us have. Because when we finally realize that we're living in the kingdom, only the opinion of the king matters. We finally stop trying to figure it out on our own and finally surrender to his plans and finally say, God, I don't care what you want. I don't care what you ask. I don't care what you're going to take. God, whatever it is, it all belongs to you. You're the king. I'm not. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.